It's episode 1089, and it's the Relevant Podcast here in Virginia Beach still. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and just down the road, also in Virginia Beach, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. It's weird. We're not recording together. I'm at his house. He's at his office. Uh, In Nashville, artist, producer, mogul, Derek Miner. What's happening? And just like here in Virginia Beach, just down the street, they don't want to be together. Downtown Emily (laughs) Brown. Hey y'all! <laughs> you know you could go to a studio. You know you could just like be in the same it's room. Just, you got some studio I, money. Yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> you, you can sneak me your, in the side door. You know what I'm saying? Nah, I was playing. You know, Emily. You know, you always welcome at my studio. Y'all get oh, don't us, tell me that. I'll show up. Pull up. We gonna record <laughs> vocals. You'll be on my next album. You know what I'm saying? My dream come true. Emily, I like it. Do it. Take my punt. Yeah, you should. Come on. Matter of fact, you know what you need to do? Because I'm actually working on a documentary. No one's supposed to tell nobody what I tell everybody. Working on a documentary for this album. Uh, Emily, (gasps) come on and come be in the documentary. You feel what I'm saying? I'm there. Album release date is August 25th. Come on. So finally, praise God, after 10 different mixes and masters and three different intros, we are here. We have arrived. This podcast is coming out on August first uh-huh. so it is 24 days three and a half weeks away yes sir congratulations man i cannot yeah, wait for man. people to hear it i can't wait for I, y'all to hear it too i love how you've done like the listening tour thing building up to it yeah, i have a man. question because i know like after we listened in montana and you heard it on bad speakers and different things you went back and adjusted some mixed stuff master uh-huh. stuff um have you like this the listening tour you did this spring where you're going around to college campuses and stuff and people were like hearing it and you were talking about the stories behind the songs and all that stuff did yeah. any of that feedback did you make any changes based on what you experienced on that listening tour this spring or is it just you tinkering and nobody's input affecting anything i'm just curious like oh absolutely not nah, honestly i don't even know if i want to put out a full-length album without doing that again because when cool. you think about it it's those are the people that are going to listen to the album. Like those are the, those are the people that are they're my stakeholders. So, like one of the main things people said was, "Man, this experience you need to be you should create something like this online for people." That's why I started working on this little documentary uh, visualizer situation. So, um, man, some of the uh, I didn't change the song order, but what would happen is I would listen to stuff on different listening environments and I would hear things that would say, oh, I need to change that, need to change this, need to change that, need to change this. And then you would get certain feedback like, hey, this sounds a little low or I wish I heard more of the guitar. I wish I heard more of the strings. So when I got back, I literally would take notes mentally and then I'd put them in my phone after the events. And I went home and I just went through all of the list of all the things and just worked on them. That's cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, is it do you fight the thing of like tinkering like you're never done you know like 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 the project's oh, yeah. never done like how did you come up with like finish line saying it is done now because for me like you know like almost like kanye like he'll put an album out and then he'll just keep tinkering on it and it's never finished you know like how did you decide it is now finished i said deadlines but you just I, said like I, regardless it has for to other be people I, I tell them hey so okay. but I have a bunch of different I have a bunch of different meetings coming up and 
I was like, yo, start scheduling the meetings because if you start scheduling the meetings, then I'll start coming to a conclusion of yeah. the record, right? So, right. yeah. There you go, man. Dude, that's awesome, man. I'm pumped, dude. It's Me really too. good. All right. Well, we have a great show in store for you today. Coming up later, we talked to Dr. Russell Moore. He's long, We found the show several times. He's one of the thought leaders uh, we respect a ton. He has a new book out called Losing Our Religion, which looks at kind of how the church has shifted in the last several years. And he has a lot of insights. You don't want to miss that conversation. It's coming up. Uh, at the end of the show, we also have a part due of the Jesse story. Oh boy. Hour. I was not prepared, but uh, well, of course you're not go. prepared. That's the whole point. <laughs> the crowd is prepared, man. After we recorded the last one, we got flooded with more story requests. I'll pick a couple. <laughs> we'll lob them to you. So I'm telling you that, that show, if y'all didn't listen to last Tuesday's show where we ended the show with Jesse telling some of the best stories with the stories you wanted to hear, I'm telling you, I was cry laughing. I was like ugly cry laughing through the whole thing. You need to go listen to it. It's really funny. All right, that's coming up. But stay tuned up next. It's Slices. Listening to Blur, the song is Barbaric. Season four of The Chosen is in theaters now, and the reviews that count are in. Amazing. Did not disappoint. Flurry of emotions. It was powerful, heartbreaking, uplifting. You have got to come and see it. It is a message for everybody. I highly recommend that you come out and see The Chosen season four. Episodes one through three of The Chosen season four are in theaters till February 14th. So visit thechosenriseup.com and get your tickets now. That's thechosenriseup.com for tickets today. Okay, it's time for Slices. What do you have, Jesse? All right, this one, um, <laughs> I thought, I, people who know me know I'm not a big social media person. Like, in, in terms of, I, I look at social media all the time, but I never, I, I rarely post, you Same. know? Same. Um, and... And, and look, I'm not I'm not casting judgment on anyone who does, but I think everyone's had the suspicions about, especially like couples who post a lot of like happy couple photos, mm-hmm. you know, kind of what's really going on there. You know, I feel like a lot of us have run into that impulse. Well, a, uh, a, a group called Shot Kit actually conducted a survey that shed some light and I think kind of confirmed some suspicions we may have all had. Um, they found they surveyed 2000 couples between the ages of 18 to 50. Um, and they were trying to look at correlations between levels of happiness and social media habits. Long story short, the results found that couples who share three or more couple selfies per week, three or more a week is a very high bar, but uh, <laughs> yeah, three or more a week, I guess that counts, you know, for stories and all that kind of stuff. Uh, are are allegedly a hundred and twenty eight percent unhappier than uh, uh, people who are are quite a bit more discreet. Um, now, there's a lot of speculation on what is behind this trend. I think what um, is it? Uh, a lot of people think it's uh, or the the people behind the surveys were were suggesting it's trust issues with their partner. Um, and so they're putting it out there like he's mine or she's mine exactly. because they don't trust mm. that person. 
Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Or, or there could be, yeah, just different layers of insecurity within the relationship that they feel like if they project a certain degree of confidence and happiness in the relationships, then that will kind of come full circle. Dude, I mean, it, it's the same premise of like, once a couple does the autumn photo shoot and they post the autumn photo shoot, it's like they are, they are in a rocky situation. Or the couple that does the <laughs> vow renewal. Like they're just like bringing renewal vows because they're holding on by a thread. You know what I mean? It's an interesting thing that like we're going to do a public display, public post to try yeah. to like show that we're solid because we want to be solid because we're not solid. That's interesting. Mm. It, it was like the major mm. red flag back in the day was the shared um, shared social media. Account. Oof. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, it's like that Bob was, and Jill Duggar or what? Oh, that I don't want to say Duggar, but oh. Bob and Jill Johnson, where it's just like you know, it's like it's one long name, like Bob and yeah. Jill. It's like Bob got into porn, you know. It's like Jill's Whoa. not letting him log on the internet. Jill's not letting Whoa. him have his own account, you know. Whoa. Like it's true. Every time it you is, see that, it's it like, is. what did Bob do? What did Bob do to have to get locked Dang. down by Jill? You know. Yeah, well, it, it was like the old, I saw someone post like the shared Facebook account was like the real world equivalent of a couple sitting on the same side of a booth at the restaurant. Something ain't right. Something, something, you know, sit across from each other. Talk to it like the the PDA. I, I don't know. It's, it's just all anyway. Now we have a survey to confirm and, and, and look, it's not an indictment on anyone who like shares pictures of them and their, their, uh, you know, significant other good on you. No, no judgment, but the, the the survey does seem to indicate that there is some correlation, not in 100% of cases, but there is some correlation between that behavior and an unhappiness within a relationship. I think the insecurity Sheesh. thing is, is an interesting point. Um, and I do see it playing out because I think, I mean, I know I've done it just on my own. Like sometimes I'll share a picture of something. And I'm not really happy, but it's like, I think I just, it's in a way it's almost like fishing for compliments where it's like, I just want someone to validate me and say like, Oh, you look like your life's so right. cool. You look great. Blah, blah, whatever that is. And I think couples can do that where it's like, they Family, are really struggling. I just want you to know your life looks so cool and you look great. Just, I just, yeah, want you to know. I have very carefully curated my Instagram account to make everyone <laughs> think that, uh, just, I really don't post. So, uh, if I do post, it's honestly like, why are you posting this? It's a very random thing. But, um, I, I feel like I've noticed that with a lot of couples that I know personally that they post like these really cool, great looking photos. But I'm like, yeah, you guys had a massive fight in front of me last week. So I don't know why you guys are posting right. this. <laughs> hey, look, it, social media complicates things because we constantly have to project stuff or we constantly feel like we need to project stuff. And then sometimes the projection of certain things gives you that reward, like what you said. So. Man, look, I, I, me and my wife happy. That I, I guess that's why we don't post a whole lot. Like, you know what, yeah. <laughs> you know what your wife looks like. <laughs> but the problem is, is like, not problem. But what's interesting is, I was dating someone and never posted anybody I dated. I haven't. I just didn't. I didn't even cross my mind. And like, the, like it, it's been an issue to the people sometimes. Like, what are you not proud of? me or why are you trying to hide our relationship or whatever i'm like i'm not trying to hide anything it just didn't even cross my mind but like to some people it like matters that you make public declarations of but I, and i feel like that's a i feel like at times that's an insecurity in in, right. in, in in what we value you know what i mean like my thing is why do i gotta post a picture about you we got each other you know what i'm saying right? like we that's here. my mindset but, it's like we're in real I life mean, together on yeah. our anniversary like for me it's <laughs> 
if it if it's not forced and if it's natural, like I think when your relationship becomes content, it's a problem. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. When it's yeah. like we're we're creating content for the rest of the world, it's like, well, is our relationship for us or is our relationship for the rest of the world, right? right. But if it's friend. just I'm posting something for the over, uh, from the overflow of a great experience, like I'm not saying don't post, right, but. I, I have you. a friend who only posts a picture of her and her husband on their anniversary of a year. And I asked her why one time. And part of it is she's like, I don't feel the need to like share my relationship with people online. But she said she specifically does it on her anniversary. Cause she's like, I just want to remind people we are still married and we're right. fine and happy. Like <laughs> don't exactly. forget I'm, I'm happily married. Here's your yearly reminder, which I think is funny. Is yeah. Funny. I, li- I like that idea. All right. What do you have Derek? There's an AI news channel coming. It's called Channel One News. It's not the Channel One News from when you not were in school and they, and they and they put it in your in your school and made you watch it in the, in the morning. But uh, this is going to be uh, AI generative news and it's going to be tailor made for whatever kind of news that you want. So obviously, that has some people frustrated. Like- the newscasters like, will be AI. The content will be AI. Man, the con- all, everything mm-hmm. will be AI generated for you. The newscasters, all that will be AI generated and it will be tailored. to. It'll be personalized. That's the new thing, what we're saying. Emily and I were talking about the AI Hollywood stuff yesterday because like the the writer strike and the actor strike, It's I was reading about this. Like We've been talking about it. You know, The streaming residuals is a big part of it. Da, da, da. They have a new contract coming up and they're trying to negotiate all that. But right. what was kind of underreported when everybody went on strike was it was it was income, you know, and streaming equity and also AI protection yep. for the industry. Yep. Because if and I told Emily, if this if those contracts had come up two years ago, they would have they would have figured out the residual thing. But mm-hmm. apparently right now, the real sticking point on the negotiations mm-hmm. is the AI boundaries because major studios in fact netflix just posted an ai position that a nine hundred thousand dollar salary for an ai expert because studios are doubling down on okay i can pay you 500 bucks to be an extra or whatever now i have your name image and likeness and i can use ai i can perpetuate you as a character i can your likeness your voice your whatever for free i don't have to pay you for future tapings and so like uh, two years ago, this wasn't an issue and those negotiations probably wouldn't even have brought this up. But now AI is so prevalent that it's actually a major sticking point for the actors and stuff for the what is the compensation for AI and for writers, what is the compensation if AI writes it and how do we keep people employed and stuff because AI is taking over Hollywood. This channel is crazy. There's going to be no human, no human yeah. newscasters and no human writers. It's all AI. Well, of course, writers and actors and newscasters are striking over this being the future of their industry, you know, so it's it's kind of interesting to watch that the studios are like uh, full steam ahead with AI mm-hmm. replacing human capital. And and yeah. I want to I want to put a pin because I know some of y'all out there have the idea AI will never replace, uh, you know, a, a real person. And think about all the times we've said technology will never replace something real. Right. And how many times yeah. it's actually done it. And keep in consideration right now, what you've seen, which is so baffling as far as AI is concerned, is the worst that AI is going to get. It's not going to get any Absolutely. worse. It, this is the ground floor. It's only going to get better. So, right. yes, this is a very real thing that AI actors, AI songwriters, AI music producers will 
will actually we're thinking 10 years five to 10 years from now that's a real real threat so this is not just a bunch of rich people trying to um trying to get more money this is an actual real threat for uh, yeah. entertainers yeah. james cameron came out last week saying like oh ai can't write a good movie and it's like the current version of like ai 1.0 maybe can't but ai in two years can so it's like I, I just thought he kind of had a odd perspective on it. Like, oh, I'm not worried yeah, about AI. Excited. It's not creative. It's like right now, <laughs> you know. But like, but they, but but then and then also, there's another thing to, to that he's not thinking about. Like, all right, think about this. All of the movies that have done that were creative and all they all bombed in theaters. Nobody really cares. Right. So what's happening is what people are valuing because technology is in our face all the time. What we're even valuing as good art is changing. What we're valuing Mm -hmm. as things that we want to pay attention to is changing. So, yes, it may not be able to make a James Cameron film with all of this nuance. But guess what? People may not want that. People may just want that Mm -hmm. AI generated flip together thing with with characters and their eyes all cockeyed and different stuff that may be what people actually begin to like if it's in their face long enough and if no Mm -hmm. one says hey stop wait a second so i don't Mm -hmm. think i think he's over he's overlooking that that there's also think about convenience stores when we buy sodas from convenience stores they're marked up an extra i mean you know 20 ounce soda might be three four bucks at a convenience store you know that if you went to a grocery store you would get it cheaper but you don't Mm -hmm. do that because of convenience and speed and what that's what ai allows is the turnaround for movies to be put out faster and and if you have these uh, these actors you just have their ai uh avatars just readily available now you don't have to worry about if they get sick you don't have to worry about anything you don't have to think about any of the human element and it just wipes out the human in general. And I think that we need to protect our human actors and entertainers. I agree. Yeah. All right. Hey, Emily. Um, I, there's some sad news for people that were looking to travel to Europe next year. Uh, U.S. travelers will need to get a visa to visit Europe. Like, even if you're just going for like a quick weekend. Um, so they don't like us no more. What's up? They're okay. just, I think. <laughs> it's not sad news. It's eight dollars, and you do it online, and it's usually approved within minutes. Unbelievable! No, it's. I, I think it's that it could take up to thirty days, up, up to four days, and that's rarely. Our article that we published said it. It's usually done in seconds while you're online, but you go get it, and it's good for three well, years. Filling out it's the application is easy but then it could take four days to get it and then they should be paying us to come visit (laughs) this is normal other than the eu i mean go to africa go to the middle east you got to get visas i mean i want no visa to go there either but (laughs) hey they think about it from their perspective you applied you got to submit background checks you know your criminal history and all this stuff they want to make sure they know who's coming into their countries i I get Mm. it I don't want too them to have that information Everything's about me. too much work. Everything's too much work. Back in the day, you just drive around. You you know, you could just get on an airplane, just buy a ticket at the counter, just go. Just show up wherever. Hey, hey, you hey good to see you. Thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> right, right on the plane. Right on the plane. Guess what? Too much, everything's nobody, nobody too stressful. Cared. <laughs> you just nobody cares. Everyone cares. 
Everyone cares too much about Trump. Do anything. This, this isn't about a plane, but I was telling my son the other day, like when I waited tables at Chili's in college, like I hated having the smoking section. He was like, "The what?" I was, I was like, wow. "Oh yeah, restaurants oh. you could choose whether you wanted to smoke or not Pretty smoke." Chill. And he's like, "But it, wasn't it the same building, same room?" And I'm <laughs> yes. like, "Yeah, it, it didn't make sense." <laughs> you can be back to back booths, back to back booths, back to back booths at the Chi Chi's, and it ain't gonna matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Not smoking, Everything smoking. tasted like cigarettes going back in the '90s. <laughs> you know, Simple yeah. What times. was? That's what I'm saying. When I I don't remember when did like smoking sections just kind of go away. It's like 2000s, I think. Yeah, okay. late 90s 2000s yeah yeah it's funny alright well that'll do it for Slices uh, there's more where that came from check out rollofmagazine.com every weekday we're recovering a bunch of stuff alright stay tuned up next Dr. Russell Moore joins us listening to new jeans the song is you guessed it cool with you well relevant has a lot happening this year and we don't want you to miss a thing make sure to sign up for our newsletter right there on the front page at relevantmagazine.com and we'll send you our top five trending stories sent to your inbox every weekday we'll also send you a weekly uh, podcast newsletter with the latest episodes some uh, fan extras and first peeks at the new shows that we're going to be rolling out throughout this year Make sure to sign up. It's the best way to keep in touch with everything we got going on. Our guest today is Dr. Russell Moore. He's a Christian thought leader, preacher, and author of several books, including the latest, Losing Our Religion, an altar call for evangelical America. He sat down with us to break down how the church has shifted over the last several years and how there's still time to change course. Here's our conversation with Dr. Russell Moore. excited to talk about your book, Losing Our Religion, um, which is out now, I believe. Yes, as of last Tuesday. How do you feel that it's it's out there now, that everyone can read it? You know, I always have a little bit of nervousness because I think, okay, now it's officially done. I can't change anything. <laughs> so, I, I'll tell you, though, the most, the worst part is doing an audio book. Uh, for me, because by that point, it's too late to add anything or change anything. And then I'm constantly second guessing myself as I read it out loud and thinking, oh, I wish I'd said this instead of that. And so that's a nerve wracking experience for me. Well, I don't think you have anything to worry about. The book is great, which is just very impressive because you took on a pretty serious issue. Um, you, you talked about how the American church has kind of changed a lot over in, in a lot of years. Um, you know, I, I think a good place to start would be, when did you start noticing this shift happening? Well, it's kind of like, I tell people it's kind of like watching the, the uh, an M. Night Shyamalan movie for the second time. Uh, once mm-hmm. you, you kind of know where all the Easter eggs are and you can, it makes sense uh, by looking for mm-hmm. them. Uh, oh, he was dead the whole time, kind of a thing. Uh, there were all kinds of intuition uh, moments, but a lot of times mm-hmm. where I would think, ah, I seem to be the only one who sees this, so it must just be 
me. Uh, but I think I think a real inflection point would have been in 2010 with the uh, Glenn Beck uh, Restoring Honor rally that that happened in Washington D.C. Part of the Tea Party, but it was a it was billed as a religious revival. That wasn't particularly surprising to me. What was surprising is that I had so many evangelical Christians that I knew who were saying, uh, isn't this great? Uh, Glenn Beck is preaching the gospel uh, here. And and I'm I'm thinking, this isn't the gospel. I mean, whether it's true or false or right or wrong, that's a different story, but it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, And so that was a, that was very much an inflection point uh, for me. And then I think just over the craziness of um, 2015 on, uh, with so much that we have seen. I mean, between mm-hmm. the um, elections and COVID and uh, the response to the George Floyd murder, uh, it's really been a tumultuous time. I am glad that you mentioned a point that was before 2015, because I think a lot of people, when we talk about this shift, very I think it was most noticeable around that yeah. time. But I think it is important to note that it it has been happening oh, absolutely. for longer than we maybe realize yeah. like you said you when you reflect on it you see it but you maybe weren't aware of it at the time if you could how would you describe the state of the american evangelical church today tense demoralized and fragmenting and i i say that because if you look at um sometimes people will ask me you know how many churches do you think are uh divided right now and I say, well, they all are, if you fit into that category, churches that are tense and on guard about the possibility of being uh, divided, uh, so that there's this uh, almost adrenal response that, that comes. It doesn't matter if a snake is in the room or if you're afraid somebody's about to throw a snake into the room. That's a, that's a very anxious place to be. Um, and I say fragmenting because... There are, uh, there are so many, there have always been different wings of evangelicalism. It's always been a fuzzy term to define. Um, but we're at a moment where it seems that it's not that there's a tribalization happening. That's always happened. It's that those tribes are being reordered um, around mm-hmm. different things. So people who previously thought they were if not enemies, distant cousins, uh, are now finding they have quite a bit in common. And people who thought they were on the same page are realizing they're not. And that's the, that's the state right now, internally. Externally, um, I, I think it's a, uh, it's, a, it's a really perilous time because what the outside world sees of the American church, uh, we, we would often like to think well, the outside world hates us because Jesus said they would hate us, and it's because we're proclaiming the gospel and filled with the Spirit and so forth. But that's not where the hostility is coming from. It, it's not coming at that. It's coming at, uh, instead, the way that we don't live up to that. Uh, it's, a, it's a perilous place. 
I feel like that's the point of the book is not only you addressing this, but you also sort of giving encouragement and hope that we don't have to stay in this place, that we can we can shift. And I guess I'd like to know, ultimately, what are you hoping we shift toward or shift back to, maybe? Well, I think the reason that I wrote the book is because I became really concerned about cynicism. Um, but there's more than one kind of cynicism. There, there's the kind of cynicism that says, I've, I've seen awful things, I've been disappointed, that means I can't trust anything or anybody, and I go numb. It can also mean, though, well, now I see how the game is played, I need to play it. Uh, that's, that's an even worse uh, form of cynicism. So I think the crisis in sort of shaking up and doing away with, uh, with what we had really ought to remind us, as, as the Bible tells us, we have no abiding city except for the one that is, is received by faith and is coming by faith. So I'm, I'm hoping that what comes out of this is a new sense of dependence, and the sort of spiritual vigor that comes out of that. Because I just see that happening so often, uh, both biblically and in the history of the church, is that you will have uh, change that comes about, but it's because of these, these seemingly tiny little groups of people who find each other. You know, the, the, the Wesley brothers didn't uh, take over uh, the Church of England, they, uh, nor did they want to find an alternative to the Church of England, they created something within it that actually ended up changing uh, almost every uh, group of Christians around the world for the better, I think. Um, and we see that over and over again. So I hope that, um, I hope it's that uh, kind of moment. I think that's something that I know I, myself, I try to hold on to when, because it is very easy to get cynical yeah. and, and not feel hopeful. But um, I think it's important to remind myself that We've been here before. Yeah. It just looked a little different. Yeah, it does. Although I think one of the things we have to remind ourselves, for, for those who are despairing, we need to remember Jesus will build his church. Gates of hell will not prevail against it. That marches on. But for those who are tempted toward a kind of complacency of saying, well, things always bounce back they need to remember jesus promised that but not specifically to an american church uh, much less to an uh, american movement uh, and you can see places where uh, in western europe for instance very very minimal uh, gospel christian presence uh, there there are some great things happening uh, but uh, it's a very different and changed reality so it, it almost, whenever anyone talks about revival and uh, we have the, uh, we need to look for awakening, what, what I always want to see from that person is, is this person who really gets how revival works biblically, which is death, destruction, fragmentation, and then rebirth. Or is this somebody who's just sort of saying, well, something will happen. Everything will, everything will eventually turn out because those are two very different responses. How do you balance that in your own life? Well, I find that what's helpful for me is knowing, uh, knowing where the default is um, because I think that 
you know, as Lewis said, the devil doesn't send errors into the world one by one, but two by two on either side of what's good. And I'm not really somebody who's tempted to cynicism very much. Instead, I think what I'm tempted to is what can sometimes feel like the opposite of that, of a kind of nostalgia. And uh, mm-hmm. I usually um, I usually kind of, in my mind, edit out all the bad things eventually, um, and I don't really remember them. And that's, that can be just as bad or worse than cynicism. And so for, for a lot of people, it's, we all tend to kind of overcorrect in the wrong direction. My first uh, ministry position, I was concerned that a lot of people uh, are, are around in our church and our community seem to have this really transactional but dead uh, relationship with Christ. Well, I, you know, I prayed the prayer in vacation Bible school and so forth. So I preached a sermon series from First John on testing the authenticity of your faith and it was a spectacular disaster because afterward i would have uh, you know the people that i was worried about coming through and saying that was great leaving and then the most sensitive godly people in the congregation coming up and saying i need to make an appointment with you there's no way that i'm a christian uh, and I thought, ah, oh, I actually did the reverse of what I'm, I'm trying to do. And it's because if we don't sort of recognize our own bent to cynicism or happy talk or to uh, introspection or not, then that can, I think, uh, can distort our viewpoint. You talk about this in your book, and it's something I wanted to talk about more. Um, the way that politics have affected our identity as a church and as Christians like it's it's very hard to find a church that separates those at this point um there are definitely some out there but so much of politics has found its way in the church um and you talk a lot about this so I'd like to know you know how do we find a balance of being engaged politically without making it our priority our identity Mm -hmm. I guess well, for, for some people, it means more distance than I would have ever prescribed before. In the same way that somebody who's a recovering alcoholic uh, maybe shouldn't go to the restaurant with the bar right next to the table, even though that would be perfectly fine for everybody else. Um, I, I think, I think in, in some sense, there's a, there needs to be a freeing from this because we've got a couple things going on at the same time. We've got a church that has often confused culture wars and politics with, uh, with the actual center of the faith. And we also have an outward society in which politics isn't about politics. It's, it's, politics is about uh, organizing together uh, as a state to get some things done uh, that, are, that are given to the state and to the civic order. And that's not what's happening now, which is why often I'll have, be having conversations with elected officials who will say, you know, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore because I got into this because I cared about education or national security or whatever the issue is. And now it's all about saying something outrageous so that you can do small donor um, email fundraising. 
And that's not what I got into this for. And so you've got an entire society that has tried to make politics something, uh, put a weight on it that it can't bear uh, to the degree that we don't even have politics at all. I mean, you, you look at uh, what is the, uh, in Washington, for instance, over the past uh, several years, what is probably the most uh, unifying and functional uh, event? It would probably be the hearings that happened this week on UAPs, on UFOs. And, and you had Democrats yeah. and Republicans <laughs> who were, were actually working together to figure something out. That is so shockingly unusual in not just in our political system but in our cultural expectation that the church has to realize that and to realize that we're pressured to conform romans 12 conform to the pattern of this world in ways that are often subconscious to us that we don't even realize are happening and i think i think one of the things that's a test of that is what are the things that that drive your blood pressure up and your your pulse up and for a lot of people political combat feels like life it gives you that little jolt um and and it gives you that little semblance of meaning and purpose i'm part of something important but when that becomes ultimate it's like every other idol it's ultimately self-destructive and i think that's largely what's happened to the church how can we now, you know, now that we're aware of it, how can we both individually and as a church kind of push back against that and make sure that we're not letting it go any further? Well, I, I think a great deal of it is just becoming aware of it. I mean, that's that's the breaking of the spell. It's it's most dangerous when we're not aware of it at all. So it's um, it, it's kind of like the person who was talking to me one time and was yes really kind of um, an anxious not in a not in a medical sense but just a, a naturally anxious worrying sort of person and I said and he he started worrying not just about that but then when he would start doing that he would worry about it some more. And I mean, that just doesn't that just doesn't work. So I would just say, just step back and realize, OK, I'm doing this again. And that that breaks the spell. And so I think if you have uh, people who are saying, OK, this is this is what has happened to us. We don't want that to happen again. And we're not running to whatever is the opposite uh, or whatever seems to be the opposite of that. Which is, you know, there's, there's some people when they see authority abused, they want no uh, authority, which is just anarchy. And eventually, you know, after the, after the French Revolution, there will be a Bonaparte in, in, any, yeah. uh, in any setting. And so instead to say, where do we find the equilibrium here? Uh, and I think that's a huge step, as well as cultivating cultivating right authority which is why uh, sometimes i'll have young christians on a college campus or somewhere who will say you know what what should i do and i i'll usually say i know this is going to sound like a sunday school answer but it's because i think sunday school was right read your bible and pray 
and mm-hmm. and that is a lot harder than uh, than it sounds because everything's working against it. Um, there, there's an illusion of self-sufficiency that you can create with technology and with everything else around you. And there's a loss of attention. And it's just, it's easy to, even people who are really committed to Christ, but they use the Bible um, as, as, a, as a tool to go in and hear some verses on this and hear some verses on that rather than actually inhabiting it. And rather than teaching themselves to stop and to, and to pray. I mean, that is the, that is the first step and it's a, it's a huge one. That was Dr. Russell Moore. Stay tuned up next. It's story time with Jesse. listening to Walter the producer the song is Sweet Benita Today's show is brought to you in part by The Chosen Season 4 of The Chosen is coming to theaters nationwide on February 1st and this season has everything clashing kingdoms rival rulers and when they're threatened by the reality of Jesus's growing influence religious leaders do the unthinkable choose to ally themselves with the Romans As the seeds of betrayal are planted in opposition to Jesus' message turns violent, he's left with no alternative but to demand his followers rise up. So get ready, Relevant Podcast listeners. February 1st is the big release day. Go get your tickets now at thechosenriseup.com. All right, well, last week we asked you guys for some of your favorite Jesse stories, and then they are, I knew that Jesse hadn't told many of them in the current era of the show, so Derek and Emily haven't heard them. So I thought this would be a fun opportunity to kind of relive some of his old stories and introduce new listeners to the lore that is Jesse Carey's life and experiences. So we we just asked you guys on social media, hey, what were some of your favorite stories that you want to hear again? And it, we were inundated. It was unbelievable how many stories came back that I had forgotten about. All right, I'm going to lob you a couple, Jesse. I'm going to warm you up. Tell them about the unique way you and your friends bought snacks one time at a convenience store. Well, this was a recurring bit, but we, <laughs> my dad went on a business trip or some trip to Florida and he came back with those little, uh, <laughs> alligator, uh, uh, claws that are, it was like an alligator back scratcher. If right? you've ever oh, been right. to a truck mm, okay. stop or convenience gotcha, store yeah. in Florida, they sell alligator claws. That's yeah, what So, so right. we went to the store and, <laughs> but I mean, it's very lifelike. I mean, it was an alligator claw, but in these nasty nails and stuff, but we like put it at the end of a hoodie. So it just looked like <laughs> so, somebody had a very, and, and, and in these parts, you don't come across a lot of alligator feet. Sure. So, uh, I remember we paid for like, we were like putting stuff onto the register, like, Oh, here you go. And then in the hoodie, we placed like some, like a dollar bill. <laughs> on the counter with the alligator claw. 
So then we were in, we went back to the store one day and they had pig's feet, like in saran wrap, like raw. And pig's feet mm. are, are very human-like, very flesh-like. And I remember we had a buddy go and pay for a soda. He's like, all right, that's a dollar ten. He's like, oh, and he pulls it out. He has the pig foot in the hoodie, and we like jammed a corner in between the pig foot toes. And we're like, oh, dollar ten, here you go. And like the cash register's just staring because she's not sure if this is just some odd hoof deformity. And they can't really say anything. You can't say anything. Oh, and and it's so fleshy. Y'all you know? are terrible, um, bro. <laughs> you scarred that person for life. <laughs> Dude, every time yeah, I'm in a truck stop and I see the alligator terrible. claws, I always think that, and I'll do that. I'll put I'll put the little hand coming out of my hoodie, and I'll put a I'm dollar in it. Like, go. We really we really jammed that quarter in there. It was you know here you go. Did, did they pick it out or like how did they get well, it? We had to pay. We had to pay for the purchase. <laughs> No, I'd have been like, you you got it. I'm like, don't worry about it. You got it, bro. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you got it. Oh, man. Uh, Jesse, people want to hear. They don't know about Joe the Neighbor, and they want to know about Joe the Neighbor. Tell us about Joe the Neighbor. Well, I haven't seen him in years. He His house one day was abandoned, and uh, oh. that was which was not out of, out of character for him. Um, he told me for a while he was planning on laying low in the Philippines for a couple of years. I, I didn't ask questions. Oh, uh, he was okay. accepting disability from the Coast Guard and said it goes quite a long way in, in certain parts of the Philippines. So, Joe, if you're out there, uh, hope you're doing well, man, under that, that palm tree like you always dreamed about. Uh, yeah, it's just, a, um, he was like, he. if you guys have seen the movie um, um, The Town with Ben Affleck, where they rob banks and stuff, yeah, he yeah. basically looked like Jeremy Renner's character, so imagine <laughs> that character, and honestly, was pretty much, he talked just like him. The first time I met him, he was, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, I know this is a family show, so I'm not gonna use the language, but um, he was like, he was talking to me about why he wanted to move to the neighborhood, uh, and he, he was moved because he didn't want his daughters to be in a school district now he is standing there in the street with his two young daughters with me like elementary school he's he goes jesse you're not gonna believe he's they're talking to them about the fn but he's he's not saying yeah 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 yeah. he goes he goes they're talking to them about the fn sex and they're the fn talking to my fn kids about d-u-r-g-s in the fn schools jesse in the fn schools he's spelling the not bad words Yeah, I mean, honestly, we could do a whole podcast, but also there was numerous times where, uh, so he had a dog, it was a little bulldog, and uh, Koopa, his name was Koopa, (laughs) and I saw animal control, like, leaving his house one day, and I'm like, I was like, Joe, what was the story? He goes, Koopa got out again. He goes, it got into Eladia's house. I'm like, in her house? He goes, well, it's not my fault. She had a compost pile in a garden. It's it's, it's tempting the dog with all kinds of treats in the compost pile. Of course, she leaves the door, back door open, let the air in. Koopa, (laughs) his dog had gotten out in the neighbor's compost pile and run through her house, leaving a trail of compost. That was the second time that it happened. (laughs) And that was when the neighbor. (laughs) What are you digging a big hole in this front yard? He was, I forget, he, one day I woke up and he had it, it dug an enormous hole in the front yard. Uh, the dog uh, again, or the neighbor? No, uh, Joe. Joe. Again, <laughs> oh. there's sometimes I just didn't want to ask questions. 
Another time, he was very excited uh, because a business transaction had gone south, but out of the end, his end of the deal was he got an old dilapidated jet ski on the trailer. <laughs> According to him, the trailer alone's worth the price, Jesse. The trailer alone is worth the price. It had it like this. It looked like it belonged in a jet ski museum, and it had like engine parts literally hanging out. But don't worry. The trailer alone was worth the price of the deal. He was he was always running little scams. Uh, I, he would <laughs> he knew a guy who worked at a at a bread factory. Again, I didn't ask for too many. You just learn what right, questions to ask right, and what right. questions not. Sure. He would show off. He would come to my house. Tons of donuts and bags and bags of like way more bread than I could eat. I'm like, you know, Joe, man, this is way too much bread. He was, well, they're cleaning out the bread factory again. <laughs> Guess who's got a whole car full? And I'm like, what do you mean cleaning out the bread factory? So my friend works at the bread factory, get a lot of rid of a lot of bread. So I got a bunch of bread, man. Dude, like, again, they heisted a bread truck. There's no way. <laughs> Well, they had to do it a couple times because he showed it to my house on multiple occasions with pastries and bread that they were cleaning out hey, the bread factory. I'm trying to be Joe, trying to give me a little sourdough situation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he had a couple. Run- I could t- I could also tell some stories that are not safe for the pod, uh, but uh, he had a strong sense of justice, Joe. He he saw uh, a a bartender get stiffed one time. Um, at one of the little neighborhood little uh, establishments. Again, I heard th- this from other neighbors who saw him running down Shore Drive throwing shoes at a car. Like, he was trying to fight a guy in a car but and was, like, running down the road throwing shoes at him just so he didn't feel right that the that the guy stiffed the bar. A good salt to the earth guy. I, I miss him. And, and wherever you are, uh, I, I hope you're doing well. I'm sure he's a survivor. He's doing just fine. Don't you guys worry. Alright, last one real quick. I don't even remember this one. Stetson McElhinney said, uh, the summer Summer camp tree incident. <laughs> I, I, I again, I, I only vaguely remember this story, but I remember I was helping out with a uh, youth group summer camp, and um, <laughs> I can't remember why. But there wasn't there wasn't like a lot to do, and I was one of the counselors, and I was and, and I was like, dude, this is so lame. It, you've guys been to youth group summer camps? Yeah. They are yeah. they, they, they're either really fun or like the lamest thing ever. Yeah. So we went out late one night. And and I remember we were exploring some old barns on the property and we found an axe. And for some reason, it just sounded like a good idea to cut down a giant tree in the middle of the night. And I remember when, and I can't remember what we, I think we burned it. I think we we burned it in a bonfire or or a lot of it. Um, It provided a lot of entertainment. But I remember as we were leaving, the camp people were very, very baffled about who had taken down a gigantic tree right in the middle of the camp uh, that had disappeared overnight. But that, but again, it was just bonfire fuel. Um, Not welcome back to that camp either. So there's a couple (laughs) camps around here that uh, persona non grata. All right. Well, there's a lot more requests. We'll keep doing this a few more times. There's a lot of, lot more stories. Uh, The Joe ones, man. I remember there was like two years. Or like Joe's stories came up like almost every week. Like, oh, he was he's a, he's a colorful character, and like I said, I'm sure he's out there somewhere um, in the Philippines. He, he told me his long term plans that he w- that he planned on just disappearing one day. I think he left a lot, quite a bit of um, unfinished business and maybe some debts behind, and just assumed a new identity. But yeah. uh, according to him, he had enough to get by in the Philippines for quite a bit of time. He's so, been selling uh, some bread. So yeah, exactly. 
Uh, before we wrap up, I want to thank Dr. Russell Moore for joining us. Make sure to check out his brand new book, Losing Our Religion, An Altar Call for the Evangelical Church. Also, make sure to check out the incredible summer issue of Relevant. We've got fascinating conversations with faith leaders like Christine Kane, Judah and Chelsea Smith, artists like Lauren Daigle and Arizona, and a lot more. You can read it for free. Just click the magazine tab over at relevantmagazine.com. Don't miss it. If you're a Relevant Plus subscriber, make sure to uh, check out your enhanced digital version of the magazine. It is beautifully designed with a bunch of extras uh, that you don't get in the free edition. Also, you get unlimited reading ad-free at relevantmagazine.com. You get an ad-free version of this podcast, a weekly subscriber podcast, and other perks. Find out all the info by clicking the Relevant Plus tab at the website plans start as low as $250 a month, and it's the best way to experience our content. Also, if you like the music on the show, make sure to check out our Spotify playlist. There's one called Heard on the Relevant Podcast. Just search it up. We also have an indie playlist, worship playlist, which is awesome, and a hip-hop playlist and other stuff. Uh, just search for Relevant over there on Spotify. Okay, on that note, we'll wrap it. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Derek Miner. I'm Emily Brown. We will see you on Friday. Have a great week, everyone. listening to the relevant podcast check out our features interviews and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com and make sure to follow relevant on facebook twitter and instagram for the latest for more great podcasts browse the shows on the relevant podcast network which you can find at our site and while you're there don't miss the all new era of relevant magazine a new issue releases every other month at relevantmagazine.com I mean, honestly, we could do a whole podcast. Relevant Podcast Network. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off. My rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.